to Action's Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. We are all aiming for something in this world. We're aiming to do something to make some sort of improvement. Some of it's personal, such as fixing a bad habit. Some of it's larger scale societal issues that we've been dealing with for a while. One important part of that whole process is being willing to change course, being willing to kind of take a different approach when it becomes necessary. Being open to that will often lead to a better result. My guest today, Maria Putnam, the co-founder and principal of the DEI Leadership Institute, has an idea about how we can find a more effective course of action around some of our most pressing problems right now. Maria, thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much, Stefan, for having me. No problem. So I actually want to start off by getting everyone oriented properly. DEI, this is a term that's commonly used in the business and the corporate world. What does it stand for? And what is the ultimate aim of a lot of the DEI initiatives going on in the world today? Thank you for that question, Stefan. Well, DEI, it stands for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. And some of the companies, actually, they are using D, E, and I. So, um, mm, Interesting. Yeah. Yes. So D, E, and I, as opposed to just D, E, I. That's correct. And the ultimate call for this is more awareness. I think that as we do more this work to begin with and start with us, to be more aware, to become better people, better human beings. So when it comes to that, what is the ultimate goal, I guess, for people who are, say, involved in the DEI or hear about DEI training at their own companies? Is there a societal need around fairness and equality, or is it mostly all stemming from this idea of just becoming better people and better communicators? Well, the ultimate goal is to create a better world, mm. a world where, the, where there is equity, where everybody has a voice, where there is appreciation of everybody at the workplace. I think that the DEI work, Stefan, cannot be effective if we as people don't do our own DEI, if we don't face our own bias. Mm -hmm. So that's where the work really starts. And by working in ourselves, the end goal is that we could become better people. You cannot apply something that you don't believe yourself. Before we get into the specifics of your story, what are some of these other benefits? So let's say we improve ourselves as human beings and give everyone the fair voice. There are some other benefits. It's not just about having certain makeups on your board or something like that. There are other intangible benefits. Tell us a little bit about some of these other intangible benefits, how, we, how we're all improving through this. Yes, of course. If let's focus, for example, in the workplace, mm -hmm. what benefits we have when we do the DEI work well. Well, there is a higher retention because people feel sense of belonging. There is a lower turnover. And that is one of the things that I hear in the business. Some of the people in the companies that I work with is they spend a lot of money in the process of the hiring. Mm -hmm. The turnover is really high. Overall, you're going to have um, more committed people in if we're going to talk about the financial part, yes, you're going to save a lot of money. And that's I'm talking about in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Let's back up to your story before starting the DEI Leadership Institute. You've lived in a lot of different places and had a lot of your own personal initiatives before that. You've always been kind of a starter. What other initiatives, what are your key highlights from before starting the DEI Leadership Institute? Well, professionally, I had a agency, Hispanic Advertising Agency. 
for 10 years in Denver, Colorado. And that led to oversee the international studies program at the Denver Public Schools, where I was very, very committed with the DEI programs. Mm -hmm. And the DEI Leadership Institute is pretty much the compilation of everything that I have. I live in three countries. So United States actually is my third country. I am originally from Bogota, Colombia. Was very fortunate to have the opportunity to study overseas. I live in Switzerland and in France and ended up in the United States. And that really helped me to always be aware of different cultures and have appreciation for every one of them. Nice. And so having experience, by the way, of South America, Central Europe, as well as the United States, what do you think us here in the United States can learn most from some of these other cultures that you originated from and experienced? Well, I think that there is something here missing, and that is the family component. Mm. We have a lot of good things in the United States, but I think that we don't appreciate that much knowledge as far as, especially, and that's something that an initiative that I actually start at the Denver Public Schools is mm -hmm. connecting our seniors with younger generations. And that goes back to where the family integrity. I see families here who have five kids and the place for, for their parents is the nursing home. And from mm -hmm. those five kids, only one go to visit their parents. So I think that there is a disconnection there. And as a society, I think that that will be a really good place to start. I don't see sometimes how we utilize the knowledge and expertise of a lot of seniors. That's very interesting. Actually, I read a news article about the phenomenon of people cutting their parents out of their lives and how it's become even more prevalent over, the, say, the past 20 years. And I focus tends to be on changes since the turn of the century until now. So, And it definitely seems different. One of the problems that's really near and dear to me is the problem of loneliness just in general, like just a tough toll on a lot of people that the percentage of people that say they don't feel like they have someone to confide in when they have something going on, they don't have someone to really ask for help. And now I read more and more about people, yeah, essentially family members being estranged more and more. Do you have any sense as to how this is originated and whether or not this is kind of a North America only phenomenon or is it going on elsewhere in the globe? And I think that there is a lot of things that we can do here in the United States, because if we, for example, look at the culture, the Japan, when your parents get older, if there is five siblings, they kind of fight to see who can take care of their parents. I come hmm. from a generation where we live with our grandma for many years and my mom took care of my grandma. So we come up from a generation of taking care of our loved ones. Mm -hmm. So there is something to learn there. And I think that this country will do very well by just start integrating more, integrating, integrating. And that is a big piece, Stefan, with DEI there, because a lot of companies, they have age discrimination. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they are hiring all these new 20 years old, and they don't value the people who's been in companies for 20 years. So there is something there that we have to perhaps look closer. When it comes to some of this age discrimination, how do we go about 
looking at people in different generations, and I had another episode of this podcast where we talked about the five different generations in the workforce today and how they each generation has a unique perspective as an interesting one. And what's really needed is this mutual understanding and kind of the combination of all the perspectives. The same DEI that people tend to think about when they think about racial bias tends to be the most commonly thought about it. Is it the same, I guess, mental mechanism to, say, address our racial biases as it is to address, say, biases against certain age groups? Unfortunately, yes. It, that's something that we see more and more. That's why there is a such a big disintegration right now. And I think that everything that happened in 2020 was just the beginning of this wake-up call that I hope many of us are having, some more than others. And I think that led to that mindset of age, all these things that are not doing us any good. Yeah, it's interesting because one of the things I think about is, let's say someone is a millennial and they've estranged, they just don't talk to their parents anymore. They just It's easy to find someone that pretty much only talks with people in the same general age range as them, their peers that they choose to sit with when they're at work or their people that they're closest friends with. What happens when you only kind of talk to your own specific age group and you don't talk to people that are older or even in younger generations as well? You are missing out from my perspective. And my studies with DEI and what I have seen in my travel I see that more and more. If you travel and let's say you want to take a class, I'm a, I love to take classes out everything. <laughs> so yeah, I'm one of those people that as soon as I arrive in a new city, in a new country, I just say, okay, where do I sign myself? Even if it's one day class and or activities, I love to learn. And something that I check it out, like let's say Airbnb, and you do a research about something, let's say places to go out, they actually break it down for you for ages. From 20 to 30, there is these places. Places for 30 to 40, they give you other places. Huh. So, and also, yes, that's very interesting. And also, there is the media. Media is not sometimes treating seniors very kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, the image that they are selling is not that positive. So do we have to do work at so many levels about integration because it's affecting us. And what you said is so important because what happened when you just go around the same circle, that's your, your feedback. That's where you get your information. We need to work, be more mindful about how we can make those integrations. Yeah, but it takes like an actual effort, right? Because I think most people find it easier to talk amongst like people, whether it be people that think like them on an ideological standpoint or people that look like them or people that have the same background, the same upbringing. What does it take to get out of your own little bubble, as some people call it? Yeah, that's a really good question. When I talk to some of the companies, that's something that came up a lot because they say multiracial friends. I mean, I mm-hmm. yeah, people, but I'm not racist. I love my friends. And mm-hmm. They always say, well, that's the beautiful work. When we start asking ourselves, let's make a list of your friends. Who would you hang out with? To go and have coffee with someone who is someone different. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah. it's just these conscious decisions that we make. I get that a lot. People who's really willing and they love the idea of the EI. They want the integration. They like everything that is happening in the world with the new administration of this country. And then you go down to, okay, who are you hanging out with? Who are your friends? And your friends are just the circle is the people like you. 
Mm-hmm. And how undoubtedly. They, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and right now, I mean, the media and the times with all this social media right now with Zoom meetings, give you the opportunity to meet people from everywhere. And even now, one of the issues I have is in networking, usually you network with the people who live in the same city as you, right? But with everything going online, there is this realization that there's an opportunity, like there's nothing stopping me from hopping on a networking event that I find, say, on a meetup or an email thread that's in another city. If I really want to, I could just hop on something going on in South Carolina or some completely different place. But for some reason, I just still stick to the Denver-related or Denver-focused events. I find that very interesting. And when I was actually coaching teachers a while back, and we were talking about the integration of the international component in the curriculum. I remember a teacher looking at me and say, how can I teach my kindergarten or my first graders about China? Or I say, no, 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 no. You don't have to do that. You can just break it down mm-hmm. into a piece of perhaps a... And in the third grade, I actually work a lot with teaching math with recipes of other countries. So it's a really small component. <laughs> like you can integrate culture in many ways. It's not only talking about another country, just you can incorporate. So the same thing happened at the professional level. I have people say, well, I go to lunch with the same people, even though we have new people. This We have some Oriental new hires that we haven't even go out for lunch. Well, go out, go out for lunch with different people in your company. Regardless of what people say, you do generally, in most cases, observe people when it comes time to say, go out to lunch or sit in a workroom cafeteria, people do tend to stick to the same people as opposed to branching out a bit. Yeah. I don't know. I think that we have to do more conscious work about that. We are going one direction where we've been comfortable. Let's be uncomfortable. That's my old, but I always say people, let's be uncomfortable. That's okay. Nothing is going to happen. It's going to be just fine. We're going to survive. Let's just jump on it. Yeah, that reminds me of the reflection period I had at the end of 2020. And I reflected upon 2020, which was a very crazy, crazy year. And I thought to myself, what if the message we're all getting from this year is we need to stop avoiding uncomfortable conversations? Everything that happened is kind of just the theme to it all. You know, Stephen, I've been thinking big time about why people avoid and mm-hmm. came to the conclusion of this is this fear, fear of finding ourselves in an unknown place. It's fear of the rejection. I don't know how we got so, so afraid to be rejected. That's what I have witnessed and what I know. One of the mindsets I think that really does keep people settling for less is fear of rejection or fear of ostracism in a more general sense. It reminds me of what like a lot of us go through when we're 15, 16 years old, and it's the first time you need to go and ask someone out or the first time you decide to go ask someone out. Anytime you do that, you're facing a fear of rejection. But at some point later in life, it feels like it becomes easy to really pretty much avoid every possible situation that might lead to rejection. And I've actually listened to podcasts and heard stories about people who've done some pretty radical courses of action to go about confronting their own fear of rejection. I think I heard a story about this one guy that decided to do one thing every day for a 31-day month to seek out rejection, ask someone a question, ask some random person or someone they barely know a question that they're likely to get a no answer to, like, hey, will you help me with this? Just to get them 
comfortable with this idea of being rejected because no matter what we start, people who want to start a business definitely are going to be rejected. A lot of the really key success stories, like the woman who did the Harry Potter books I heard was rejected by hundreds of literary agents, publishers. There's always going to be rejection first. We always have to face it if we want to move from one point to another. Yeah, I agree with you. That's very deep right there. We can just go hours and hours. That's fascinating. <laughs> That's fascinating to me because I see beautiful people so scared, so afraid to be their beautiful self, the beautiful people that they are, just because somehow, somewhat in their subconscious mind, at one point in their life, they were rejected. And I always say, just make a list of everything that you're scared of and choose the one that you are the most scared and start working on that. And you mentioned something about repetition. And I think that repetition really breaks any cycle in your subconscious mind because everything happens at the subconscious level. And we don't even know sometimes all the stuff that we have in our subconscious mind and that come up, people just panic. They have panic attacks. That will be really good to make the list. And I always talk about that and to confront their fears because what happens is we don't do that. We are giving our power away. And it's so mm. that we cannot chime because of that. That's a very important point about giving our power away because I feel like that's what keeps a lot of people settling for less. And one thing I do want to always iterate in this podcast is that I'm not trying to throw shade on people who take certain courses of action that just fits them better. I'm talking about finding the course of action, finding the life that really matches who you are and where you shine the best. Even people who move up at companies had to do something along the lines of putting themselves out there come to their boss or come to the division leader with an idea, put yourself out there, face that possible rejection. And that's how a lot of people kind of get to where they want to go. And so giving away that power mm -hmm. keeps people in a case like there's an outcome where you end up stagnant and you end up not getting to, I like how you put it, really shine. Yeah, absolutely. I had a meeting yesterday. I volunteered myself to speak up and to do a presentation without even preparing anything. <laughs> everything, yeah, I just just volunteered myself because they were looking for a speaker. And, and the whole topic was about cooperation. The title of my short speech was Cooperation Goes Long Ways. And the reason why I choose that is because the image that I came up with is a candle. And the candle leads a lighter. There is a cooperation happening there. And that is a metaphor of light. And we all have that light and we forget that we have that light. And I think that when you were talking, something that came to my mind, Stefan, is compassion. We need to be more compassionate with ourselves. Hmm. We are so hard with ourselves when something doesn't work out. That is no kindness. We have to learn to have more compassion for ourselves and to learn and to keep moving and to never give up and to start again. And every day is an opportunity. The society, the media... The circles is not empowering, it's disempowering our human selves. Moving forward usually involves radical self-awareness as well as radical self-compassion. So radical awareness of who you are and what's going on in your head, being aware, not being afraid of something, not running away from something, but also really being compassionate to yourself and accepting the way that you've may have done things not ideally in the past, but being like, Take a deep breath and say, oh, that's okay. All I can do is get back up 
and move forward. So I want to get into a little bit about what you saw when you decided to start or co-found the DEI Leadership Institute, how people were going about it and how you feel people should be going about handling some of these large-scale issues. That's a great question. Well, actually, my big time question in DEI was since I started working with the school system. Mm -hmm. That's where things really start more clear to me that something needs to be done in a bigger scale that have more effect. With my experience traveling and assessing a lot of schools around the United States, the inequalities pretty much that I see, I feel like I need to do something. It's not only to witness because we witness something that is not working and don't do anything. Guess what? We became part of that. And yeah. my calling is, you know what? I need to do something about this. Uh, I got the certification from the Stanford University about EI. And so this is the work that the world really needs right now. So what did you see in the approaches that people have been or had been taking toward DEI and your decision to advocate a slightly different approach? Well, the approach that I have seen a lot is two things. One is I see companies hiring consultants and not getting results. And for me, that's expected, to be mm -hmm. honest with you, because DEI is a very deep work. I mean, if you have a company and you have all your staff and you bring someone that is going to tell you how you can face your own bias, you're going to say, who is that person? Mm -hmm. That person don't know the culture of the company. That person hasn't have really the time to develop the relationships where you feel safe because this work is start as a group when you feel safe. So that's mm -hmm. the thing that I don't think is working, no matter how good the consultant is. You cannot fix a culture in two weeks, in six months. You have to invest, mm -hmm. have to develop those relationships. So that's one thing that I see that's not working. And that's why, I mean, if you want to check the box, fine. You did a DEI in your company, fine. But if you want to really see a difference, you really make change, you have to have another approach. So that's one thing that I have seen. The other thing that I have seen is in big, big companies, even they develop departments, which make, makes much more sense. Mm -hmm. You have to be aware of who is really leading those groups, because sometimes the people who is leading those groups is completely actually behaving in the opposite that nobody even buy on it. If mm -hmm. I have a boss who actually is the most racist person and is telling me how not to be, <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's not okay. You shouldn't be doing that. It's not going to work. Or if the people is afraid of dog. If I want to tell you, I mean, who are you putting to do this? You want me to tell how things are not working, how you don't feel included, and you are afraid to be fired. So you have to really be mindful of how you do DI in your own company, even when you have a whole department. So that led to the approach of the AI Leadership Institute is to really work with the leaders. And the DEI work is start by working with themselves and then they can bring that to their companies. And so it's more effective because you already have invested, you went through the process of realizing so many things, confronting your own bias, learning, getting information, getting the tools and the skills to really be 
an effective DEI leader. It makes me feel like a lot of things you talk about are things that need to be thought of from a little bit of a broader perspective. And maybe our perspective on some of these things are a little bit too narrow, that this is really kind of a broader change in the organization. One thing I read about organizational culture, and there's an important moment in what you were describing here, is the idea of people feeling comfortable speaking up. The difference between an organization where people feel like they have the comfort, they feel like they can speak up, they feel like their voice matters to their leadership, and organizations where people feel afraid to talk. And oftentimes when people feel afraid to talk, one of the other things that occurs in that organizational culture is that people are also afraid to take risks, even risks that could end up with really rewarding products. Whereas the best organizations are the ones that, you know, where the people really feel comfortable, they can speak their voice and there's not going to be this constant threat of being fired or not being given assignments or other types of negative consequences for just saying something that might be a little bit different than what people want to hear. Is that mindset, that kind of embracing that discomfort, is that part of the entire process and just creating a better overall organization? Yeah, very much so. Because what we have seen in a lot of those companies when people are afraid to speak up, it's an oppression system. Hmm. Oppression has so many colors, and that's one of them when there is a retaliation for speaking up to even propose an idea. Oh, yeah. Because there's a lot of organizations where people, they just don't want to try anything new. They don't want to propose anything new. They just don't. It's better to just kind of lay low and stick where you are because you can kind of fly under the radar and not get anyone's wrath pretty much. Well, yeah, but that goes back to histories of histories. I don't know if you are familiar with the podcast that is called 1619. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful podcast. And actually, I love that podcast. And we go back to the times when slavery in one way or another, we've been changing through time the names of the codes, how we call things. Mm -hmm. And I see that in different ways. And right now in the workplaces, how we keep doing a lot of stuff doesn't make sense. And people are still in that sense of oppression. So I think that this is really a good time. I'm very excited about what is happening right now in the world. I think that all the events that took place last year it was a really good indication that people is ready for a change. People is ready to create a new world, more fairness, much better opportunities for human beings. People is tired. I love to see new generations standing up to place. I love to see millennials questioning and speaking up. And with millennials, I love millennials. Millennials. They speak up. They don't have what other generations have before. They are mm -hmm. more free. I love it. Talking about workplaces, they are not afraid to change jobs. Their beliefs are not aligned with the culture of the company. Millennials just move on. Move oh, on. yeah. They don't have the commitment anymore of saying, oh, yeah, I want to be here until I retire. Or I'm here for 10 years now. I love it. They really look after what resonates with them. They're more honest with themselves. Yeah. It actually reminds me of the way I approach a lot of work, which is if it doesn't align with something I want to do, if I don't feel like I'm really shining, able to do myself, it took me a little while to realize this in the first few years after going to graduate school, but why keep doing this? Like, I think the phrase I hear that irks me the most is the idea that you've got to pay your dues and it takes a lot of different forms, but... Yeah. Well, we come from that, but I think that 
there is so much to learn from new generations. I try to spend more time sometimes when I can with younger generation. They have so much to offer. <laughs> I love them. I mean, everybody. I love kiddos. I love, my heart is with elders. My heart is always with service. And I just want to clarify, I'm not trying to throw shade on generations at all. There are certain things I disagree with the idea of virtue of, say, working long hours. But you know, I want to not let that lead to a bias against certain generations of people. And so as we kind of take a deep breath, confront our own biases, confront the ideas that we've lived by, decide, are they right? Are they wrong? What are you hopeful of like this future scenario after all this work is done of what our world is going to look like, what our interactions are going to look like? Well, (laughs) I always say if I have to paint a canvas right now, it would be with a lot of colors of integration. And that's how I see this. I think that if we do this work well, we will have happier people. People taking less pills. Thanks, mm. God. I hope so. <laughs> <People taking laughs> yeah, I know. We need less pills. <laughs> yeah, people taking pills for everything these days. And that is not okay. That is the result broken system. Yeah. So how about that? Not taking people living more free of everything that I mean, go back to empowering them, whatever, take that, but no pills, more happiness, unification, and people will create a much better world if we are there. That's one of the things I often look at. I look at the 2010s, right? And I look at what happened with the number of people taking pills, the number of people committing violent acts, the number of people committing suicide. And I said, okay, we need to look at this and realize something's not working. Something needs to be changed. I might not have all the answers. You might not have all the answers, but something needs to be different than what we've been doing, say, since I think 2008 was the last major cultural turning point before this pandemic hit in 2020. So something over those last 12-year period just wasn't exactly working. So I just have one final question about the entire concept of DEI, and that is, is there any danger in people thinking about it in too narrow of a term, say, for it to be just about racial background versus every form of bias, as we talked about, the bias against different generations, the bias against different ways of thinking? Or is it better to focus on one part of it and allow that natural process of being curious, open, less fearful of conversation to bring it to other areas of life? Well, I think that even though the AI is like the number name say diversity, equity, and inclusion, and there is so many layers, and this is such a deep, deep subject, and it's a tough one. It's very challenging, and this is not an easy work to do. <laughs> this is a journey, not a destiny. Mm-hmm. That we can start with one, but there is so many layers. This is conscious work at different levels. Definitely. So it sounds like the biggest issue may not be narrow thinking, it made me more like kind of putting it into the realm of instant gratification, how we have so much of that in our culture, especially with social media thinking, oh, I just need to check a box. I just need to do these five things or these two things and be done with it as opposed to just saying, no, we're on a journey. We're going to open ourselves up and we're all going to become better people from it. Yep. I think that's the best position. I have people who come to me and say, well, I have never studied. I would like to, as soon as they talk to me, oh, I would like to get certified. I can do this. Oh, this sounds so interesting. I say, you already started doing it. Why? Just start talking about it. People don't even talk about it. They work. It's like when you go to the doctor, because you realize you have something, 50% of the work is already done. If I start talking, we already are doing our work. 
being aware, like, I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to ask myself, why did I go talk to this person and not that person? Why did I think about this in that sort of way? Yeah, because what happened is sometimes what I see, and unfortunately, is a lot of DEI people, consultants, they just love data. And data is a great tool. Data can help you to guide you the results that you want. We are not robots. Thanks, God. We are <laughs> We are capable to wonderful things. And so that is just one piece of the whole circle. And we do just the word like you mentioned before, but just asking ourselves these questions. Why I'm sitting in this table with, I know everybody in this table and I don't know anybody in that table. Take the lead. Go and sit with people that you don't even know. That's all. That's all it takes. Who's going to win? You're going to win. We win. You guess what? Every single time that we do something that we have never done, you empower yourself. You are better people just by doing that. Definitely. And for all my listeners that are feeling stuck, that's one thing a lot of people may be like, I'm doing something right now. I don't really love it, but I don't know what it is I want. I don't know where I'm going. Maybe just by taking these little steps, such as introducing yourself to a person that's not like you, you open yourself up to new ideas. And that maybe over time, the process by which you come up with that new idea, like, oh, wait, this is what I was meant to do. This is what I was meant to provide to the world. And this is how I achieve that alignment. Yeah. You actually mentioned something interesting is I see in a lot of conferences as people don't have the question, but they don't ask the question or in classes, people they have questions, but they are afraid to ask mm-hmm. the question. It's that simple. It's interesting. I studied long, long time ago about how when we are about five to eight years old, how we our mind shift on we became so aware of what people think of us and we lost that freedom. And I think that that's a big part of risking and taking that initiative. And I say, no, I'm going to ask the question. Oh, you know what is going to happen? Whatever happened, happened, but stand up and ask the question. Because guess what? What I realize is a lot of people have the same question, but nobody asked the question. When I lead meetings, I have people after the meeting saying, oh, what about this? And what about that? And I say, why did you ask that question? I'm like, oh, no. Well, they feel more comfortable one-on-one mm-hmm. asking the question in front of 20 people. Anyways, I love this work because for me, DEI is a work that, empower us and make us feel better and be better people and let our light shine more. For those listeners that are interested in finding out how to empower themselves, how do we go about finding you and your institution? Well, you can actually find me on LinkedIn and also you can find me through the WWWDI Leadership Institute, just Google DI Leadership Institute. We are having a conference at the end of the year and this is interesting because we're going to have a panel of people who have really invested in their companies and doing this conscious work. And like I say, this is not over. You, you cannot just take the life, the certification and then no, this work is a journey. Well, and it reminds me of every other mindset issue you have, whether it be avoiding over people pleasing, avoiding the need to be busy all the time, all these other mindset traps that we fall into that prevent us from moving in life. They're all things we often have to relearn and relearn again. So Maria, I'd like to thank you very much for joining me on this podcast and wish you the best of luck going forward with creating better people, better human beings, better connections with people, and not to sound cliche, but a better world. And I'd also like to thank everyone out there for listening to Actions Antidotes, and hopefully you join us for more episodes 
for more discussions with inspiring people who have taken action upon the things that they care about.